Well, I'm convinced that uh, life is really full of lots and lots of mysteries. In fact, I think the older uh, I've become, uh, the more mysterious life seems to me. When I was young, I thought I'd had everything figured out, uh, but the older I become, the more life seems mysterious. Marriage, I think, is a great example of all that. Uh, I've been married for 17 years. We dated for uh, years before that, and yet there are still times that I look at my wife and I say, you are an absolute mystery to me. I have no clue what's going on here. And so that seems common. The older I get, life just seems more and more uh, mysterious. And of course, that's interesting because our culture uh, has become more advanced scientifically. We've become more advanced academically in all sorts of remarkable ways. And yet life still really feels mysterious. Uh, you've all heard of uh, Albert Einstein, right? Arguably one of the the, the most smartest men to have ever lived. Well, towards the end of his life, uh, Life Magazine, some of you remember what Life Magazine was. Life Magazine came to him and said, we want you to write an article that is full of advice uh, for younger people. Uh, so Albert Einstein agreed to do this and uh, they produced an article and that article was called Old Man's Advice to Youth. Uh, and in that article, uh, he encourages young people to never lose a holy curiosity. And he wrote something in there I thought was really uh, important. He said this, The important thing is to not stop questioning. Curiosity has its own reason for existence. One cannot help but be in awe when he contemplates the mysteries of eternity, of life, of the marvelous structures of reality. It is enough if one merely tries to comprehend a little of those mysteries every day. And so even Einstein understood that life is full of mysteries. There's just so much out there that we know nothing about, from the physiology of our brains and how that functions in our body to parts of the ocean and the seas that still remain uh, a mystery and are uncharted. Uh, life is full of all sorts of mysteries, and that should fill each one of us with a sense of awe every single day. Well, as you come to the scriptures, one of the things you discover is that we worship a God who is also full of mystery, a God who is at times very mysterious. Have you ever wondered about the mystery of God's action? Why does he do things the way that he does them? Why not another way? Have you ever wondered about the mystery of God's timing? Why does God choose to do things in his timing and, of course, not in my timing? And so there's a lot of mysteries that come to God. He is the picture, the scriptures picture him as one who is shrouded in mystery. And sometimes that really frustrates us, right? The mysterious nature of God. Sometimes it fills us with humility, but it should always fill us with a great sense of awe. But one of the things that the scriptures also reminds us is that God isn't just mysterious. That God chooses or is happy to reveal things about himself. He's happy to reveal to us what is most important for us to know. He doesn't reveal everything, but he does reveal to us what is most important. And those scriptures, the scriptures that you have before you, these are the revelation of God, his mysteries being revealed and made known to you and I. But one of the things that the scriptures tell us is this, is that the mysteries of God are most revealed to us 
in the person of Jesus Christ. We get to learn about a God shrouded in mystery as we look at the face of Jesus. And that's exactly what Paul is talking about in our passage this morning. I'm going to be reading uh, from Ephesians chapter 3, and I'm going to be reading uh, from verses 1 to 21, really the uh, the whole chapter here. So this is God's word. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, know how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister, according to the gift of grace which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the, ch- through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory." For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, speak to us through your word. Help us to have uh, the mysteries of redemption, the mysteries of the gospel revealed in our hearts again this morning. But I pray, Father, that this truth would not just be an exercise of our minds, but it would sink deeply into our hearts, into our emotions, into our affections, into the way that we live our lives. Only your spirit is the one that can do that. So we pray that your spirit would come and seal these truths to our hearts here this morning. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. If you've been with us uh, the past couple weeks, you know we're looking at this uh, letter uh, to the church in Ephesus, also called the book of Ephesians. 
And what we've seen is that Paul here is flaunting the riches that come to those who have been made new in Christ Jesus. He's really showing off all throughout the book uh, the wealth and riches that come to those who are in Christ. And so what he wants the Ephesian church to understand is this. He wants them to understand that they are rich That's what really the first half of the book is all about. You are rich in Jesus Christ. The second half of the book, which we'll start next week, is uh, the follow-up. You are rich, now live like it. You are rich, now live like it. So in chapter 3, what Paul is doing is he's finishing up this sort of groundwork of understanding the riches we have in Jesus. He's helping us understand the, the sort of depth of truth and dogma and doctrine of the gospel. And I think there's two things that Paul wants to show in this section. He wants to show the mystery of God that has now been revealed. And he wants to show us the love of God that can now be comprehended. So the mysteries of God now revealed, the love of God now comprehended. Really that first section, uh, verses 1 to 13, are the mysteries of God revealed. And it's another uh, run-on sentence by Paul, which we've seen all throughout this book. In fact, if you go to the original Greek, uh, verses 1 to 13 are really just one sentence that are almost 190 words. So that is, you English uh, people out there, you, you cringe to hear that. But that's exactly how Paul writes in this section. So listen to verse 8, which sort of summarizes it. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, verse 9, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. You see, what Paul is recognizing here is he's sort of speaking autobiographically about his own life. He recognized that God had set him apart for something special in this unfolding plan of redemption that we read about in the scriptures. When you think about it, it all started uh, long ago in the book of Genesis, right? And Paul's immediate argument here really started with one man in the book of Genesis named Abraham. You can read about him in sort of Genesis 12 and then chapters following. And what you learn is that God comes to Abraham, and he comes to Abraham making promises. He chose Abraham to be in a relationship with, to be in covenant with, uh, and he tells Abraham that he's going to be the father of a great nation and that God would faithfully bless Abraham's family from generation to generation to generation, that God would have a unique relationship with this nation, that would come from Abraham, and what we know is that is the Israelite nation or the Israelite people. And so God's relationship with this people group was intended to be a very special one, but it was never intended to be an exclusive one. See, God's plan of redemption is for all people, And that nation of Israel was supposed to be the means by which God would bless all of the other nations who were around them. But at one point in their history, God's people, Abraham's descendants, sort of lost their way when it came to these things. They began to believe that their relationship with God was an exclusive relationship. 
that God was somehow in their corner and by nature was against everyone else. So as this evolved over the centuries, it set up a major religious division between Jew and Gentile. And we saw a little bit about this last week as we looked at the passage. The Jews did not believe that the Gentiles had any access to the redemption of God. After a while, they started to believe that all of that was for them and for them alone. At one point in their history, the Jews even believed that God had created the Jewish people to experience heaven and the Gentile people to exclusively experience hell, meaning that only the Jews got to experience the blessings of God and the Gentiles were simply uh, created and designed to experience the curses of God. And so they sort of lost their way when it came to all these things. And even throughout their history, God continually corrected this He continually hinted at the fact that his plan of redemption was bigger than just for the Jewish people, that it was for the whole world, but they had consistently lost their way on this issue. And so now, Paul is saying, now that Jesus has come, this mystery has been revealed. And the mystery is this, that God's kingdom is for all people, for both Jew and for Gentile, that God's family is inclusive of all people. That race, the gender, socioeconomics, all those things don't matter when it comes to being included in the family of God, included in the kingdom of God. So Paul's arguing that both Jew and Gentile will populate heaven. Both Jew and Gentile can receive the spiritual blessings that are found in Jesus Christ. And so that's where Paul comes in. He believed that he had a unique role in declaring this mystery that had now been revealed. He had a unique role in declaring that the Jews were not the only ones that can be spiritually rich in Jesus. He felt that God placed a unique calling on his life to share the gospel to the Gentile world of revealing to the Gentiles that they too can be rich in Jesus. And Paul, of course, traveled all over the ancient world to all the Gentile world, declaring to them, yes, you too can be rich in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so what Paul is getting at here is that God's plan of salvation is always much bigger than we think. It's much bigger than was originally thought, and it's much bigger than we think. It is for the whole world. All the old divisions don't matter, and any of the the new cultural divisions that we might devise in our own culture, whether it is class or race or political affiliation, all those things don't matter when it comes to our relationship with Jesus Christ. The mystery of God has been revealed. Salvation is for all people. Back to Albert Einstein. He said this. He said, the most beautiful experience we can have is the mysterious. It is the fundamental emotion that stands at the cradle of art and science. And so, as fun as mysteries can be, uh, as engaging as they can be for us, It is far more fun to have those mysteries revealed to us.
to have those problems solved, to have those mysteries revealed. And this was Paul's mission, to declare to all that the riches of God are available in Jesus Christ. And so that's what Paul here is praying for the church in Ephesus, a church most likely full of Gentiles. That's what he's praying for them, that the mysteries of God would be revealed to them. But that isn't the only thing that he prays for them. He prays, yes, that the mysteries of God will be revealed to them, but he also prays that the love of God, the immense love of God, would be comprehended by them as well. Look at verse 18. It says this, that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So Paul is telling the Ephesians that the mystery of God is revealed and that it includes them, that that all of the gospel blessings are theirs. And you can see in Paul that there's, there's emotion here. You know, Paul isn't writing to a bunch of strangers. He's not writing to a bunch of people that he has no emotional connection with. He's writing to people that he deeply loves, that he has deep pastoral concern for, and he wants them, he loves them, and he wants them to understand just how deep the gospel really is. And so he prays a couple of things for them. He prays that they would be strengthened through the power of God's Spirit, He prays that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith. He prays that they would be rooted and grounded. Now, I don't know about you, but all that sounds pretty good. That sounds pretty good to me. I don't know how you feel, but that sounds good to me, to feel in my own heart the strength of God's Spirit, to feel personally that Christ dwells within my life, to feel rooted and grounded in my life. All those things sound pretty good to me. And so the question becomes, how do I get them? How do I get all those things? How do Paul's prayers for the Ephesians be answered in my own life? Well, Paul gives us the answer here. We get all those things very simply by comprehending just how much we are loved. By comprehending just how much we are loved. In fact, what Paul is saying here is that the more we recognize just how much we are loved, the more strengthened, rooted, grounded, and secure we will feel in our lives. I've done this exercise before, and so I want you to engage in this thought exercise with me for just one second. I want you for a second to imagine the mind of God. I know that's mysterious and shrouded and all that sort of stuff, but just for a second, imagine uh, the mind of God and ask yourself this question. What does God feel when he sees you? Or this question, what does God think when he thinks about you? And here's how I want you to answer that question. I want you to answer that question according to your gut. Not according to the Sunday school answers or what you know from the scriptures intellectually. I want you to answer that according to your gut. Because if I'm honest and if I ask myself that question about what God thinks about me when he thinks about him, I come up with all sorts of different answers. I often think that that God is just tolerating me. That, That maybe God just, 
loves me begrudgingly, that he's sort of perpetually frustrated with my lack of, of faithfulness, that I tend to sort of bother him or frustrate him with my petulance. And so, so even though I know all the intellectual right answers, often this is what I feel within my gut when I think about that question. And that's why Paul's words are important here, because Paul, for those people that sort of feel that in their gut, Paul wants to step in and say, no, that's not true. It's not true, because when God thinks about you, it is pure love from start to finish. You see, the Ephesians, they were living as if God didn't love them. They were living as if God's emotions to them were simply half-hearted or lukewarm or apathetic emotions. And so what Paul wants them to grasp is the sheer vastness of God's love for them. The height of it, the depth of it, the breadth of it, the length of God's love for them. He wanted them to comprehend that God's love for them is so great that actually at the end of the day, it's incomprehensible. It's greater than our minds can even understand. It surpasses all sorts of human knowledge and human capacity to even understand it. And so Paul is saying to this, don't you get it? Don't you get it, Ephesian church? His love is unrelenting. It will never run dry. It is a white, hot passion that never fades. It is vaster than the largest ocean, and it is deeper than the deepest sea. You want proof of it? Then look no further than the cross of Jesus Christ. Look at the sacrifice that he made. Look at the proof of love that he demonstrated for you by hanging on the cross all because of his love. His love for you is beyond compare. And so what Paul knew is that the more the Ephesian church understood that, the more they understood that, the more it would change their lives. I have to ask, maybe we're a bit like that Ephesian church too. Maybe we're like them as well. Maybe you and I sitting here, maybe we need a fresh reminder of just how much God loves us. Maybe our hearts need to be reminded of the length, the breadth, the height, and the depth of God's love for us. Because God's love becomes the foundation of our security, our strength, our purpose, and our identity. If you are in Christ, then you are loved far more than your mind can even imagine. So the key is to let that truth sink in. To let it sink deeply into our hearts because if it does it will change the way that we live. The deeper Christ's love sinks into our hearts, the more it will change the way we live our lives day in and day out. You see, I think the wise person is the person that recognizes that wealth isn't tied up in bank accounts or 401ks. 
It isn't tied up in material possessions. The true wealth is defined in relationships, in the relationships that God gives us. And in Jesus, what the gospel tells us is that we are reconciled and adopted by God. We are brought into a love relationship. And so if you are in Christ, then you are rich because you are loved. You are rich because you are loved. And so may the mystery of God's love be revealed in your heart. May his love be comprehended in your soul. Let's pray.